The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, Episode 252. Welcome to The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai, where we talk about applying high leverage psychology in your business and life. I'm your host, Dr. Yishai Barkadari, licensed psychologist, private practice owner, speaker, executive coach, and consultant. I became a psychologist to learn how to leverage psychology and help others do the same. For over a decade, I've been tracking how psychology gets in the way of smart and results-driven people. For years, I've developed frameworks and tools to help them leverage psychology instead to launch themselves forward. It's my mission to share my hard-earned lessons with you so you can launch yourself forward too. I can't wait to talk high leverage psychology with you so you can learn to take higher leverage action today. Let's talk high leverage psychology. Today, I'm talking about the war for your attention. I'm talking about the forces that push and pull for your attention every waking moment, how to handle them and how to win the battle for your attention and focus. It's nearly 3 p.m. and I don't know where the past two and a half hours of my life disappeared to. Sure, I can remember what I did. I took care of a few things that needed to get done, a couple things around the house, feeding myself, working on my business, all while watching YouTube. Recently, I've been getting deep into learning about AI language models like ChatGPT and how to leverage them, especially ethically. But that's not what I set out to do this morning. In fact, I only had three major goals today. The first took me just until afternoon. But where did the time disappear to between 12.30 and 3? How did hours of my day disappear without getting my most important tasks done? Which brings me to today's topic, the war for attention. There are two major battlefronts in the war for attention. The one going on in every form of media imaginable, and the one going on inside your brain. Let's tackle them one at a time. Media is a massive topic, but I'm going to simplify and define it here for you for our purposes. On a business level, media is any piece of content that provides value in exchange for attention at scale. Attention is measured as human eyeballs, or maybe eardrums, multiplied by time. By definition, media is not limited to one-on-one conversation. It can be shared and exchanged with thousands, millions, even billions of people. In other words, media is a way of describing the capturing of human attention through the production of a deliverable books, blog posts, news, podcasts, on-demand or live video, and more. Media takes many forms, including entertainment, information sharing, creating a sense of connection and belonging, providing an experience, triggering emotions, or really anything else. Attention is the fundamental unit of value captured, the market share, by the person or company who produces content. Your attention, your eyeballs and eardrums, is what they then leverage or trade for money. Often to other companies who capitalize on the attention, which is to say, 
They get your attention and convince you to spend money. Convince might be a strong word, perhaps influence or make an offer. There can be a big spectrum here depending on the intent. Without getting too deep into the history of advertising and marketing, it's important to realize that media is a competitive game, and it's become increasingly competitive to the extreme. Why? Because every business, company, organization, and cause on the planet needs attention. Attention is how people see, notice, and decide that the mission, the solution to their problem, or the way to accomplish their goals is by donating, purchasing, spending money on a product or service. The industry that trades in attention is media, but there are entire industries devoted just to figuring out how to keep ratcheting up and intensifying how well an article, ad, podcast, or TikTok gets your attention and how well it holds your attention. Industries that push media further have been drawing on psychology, behavioral, cognitive, and neuroscience research for decades, sometimes directly, sometimes indirectly. They constantly, rigorously test, tweak, and push the boundaries for how to grab and hold your attention. As a result, we've entered an age where media consumption is not just a given, it's approaching oxygen status. Consuming media has become almost as natural as breathing to us as humans. Here's an example. When you wake up, which do you do first? Check your phone or go to the bathroom? If you're in the vast majority of people, it's practically an involuntary reflex. And no, I don't mean going to the bathroom. It might even look self-defeating, but it's important to point out and be aware because we are swimming in it. Sometimes, for some of us, we may feel like we're drowning in it. Meanwhile, media is pushing to design its way into grabbing and holding your attention for as long as possible to exchange for money. I want to come back and make an important distinction. Media is the business of farming attention for harvesting. Sometimes that's directly by selling you a product or service or indirectly by selling advertisements, sponsorships, or feeding you other bits of content from other companies or organizations. But attention is your eyeballs and eardrums, which means you have a lot of agency with your attention, should you choose to exercise it. This is where you have an opportunity to become intentional and take the reins yourself. For example, there's a difference in quality of media and media consumption, just like there's a difference between healthy food and junk food. It's not all doom and gloom, though. Whether you need an accountant takeout or an exterminator, it's extremely convenient and easy to get exactly what you're looking for or very, very close to it. That's the power of media. Media has absolutely contributed to the lowering of time, effort, and energy in finding and having access to solutions when we need them most and we're seeking them in the moment, at least when it's done well and when it's done ethically. Being aware and intentional about how media is designed to farm your attention and taking the reins into your own hands, so to speak, is a powerful way to get what you're looking for without getting lost. At least not for as long and not getting lost in the doom scrolling as often. 
which takes us to the second battle for attention, the one happening inside your skull. But before we get there, I want to highlight one major takeaway. There is a fierce fight happening for human attention. Some organizations put in tons of resources to cultivate attention, to grab and hold eyeballs. Others pay for the privilege of putting themselves in the middle of attention that they or other organizations have spent the time, energy, and effort cultivating. So, on to attention and your brain. At the core, every human being on the planet needs attention, our own and from other people. Imagine trying to buy groceries but not being able to focus for long enough to figure out where to get each item on your shopping list. That would make shopping a nightmare. Or imagine the checkout person was just looking around aimlessly, not noticing that you have all of your groceries sitting on the conveyor belt, just waiting to be rung up. It would take forever just to get your groceries paid for and go home. In psychological research, attention is often framed as the brain's ability to organize its resources, eyes, ears, hands, etc., to accomplish a goal. In other words, attention is how you coordinate and move towards your goals. That's your mental energies and your physical energies. How you shop, cook, work, build relationships, and pretty much everything else you do in life. But attention is still tricky and can be tough to describe or nail down. In the therapy world, attention is often considered a symptom, like how anxiety can get in the way of focusing, how depression can make it difficult to concentrate, or as a symptom of ADHD. But I want to dig deeper because there's a lot more going on than just categorizing attention as a symptom or putting your nose to the grindstone to get stuff done. Attention is also about staying focused, concentrating, and working on a challenge or problem until it's solved resolved, and overcome. In our day-to-day, it's having a hard time staying focused and following through that tends to be most disruptive. Sometimes that takes a form of procrastinating, sometimes doom-scrolling, sometimes losing our train of thought, or our ability to really stay on track. Like when I made my list of three goals and only finished one of them so far today. I didn't follow through and hold my attention on my goals long enough to get them all done. At least, not yet. Spoiler, I've got a plan for that, and it's been working for me. But before we get to it, I want to talk about why it's so hard. What's happening that we keep losing our focus? I have a theory, and I've been chewing on this a lot over the past couple of weeks. One of the most fascinating bodies of research on attention talks about a concept called flow. It's described as the kind of high-intensity, productive focus that holds our attention, keeps us engaged and challenged, and has time flying by, but not in a bad way. In other words, flow means a deep, fulfilling, productive engagement of attention that moves us towards a goal as we're overcoming challenge and making progress. Unfortunately, for many people, it feels far too rare. One critical component of flow is that there's a balance of challenge and progress. When progress happens too fast without any challenge, it often feels boring and we lose interest. The reverse is often doubly true. When something is overwhelmingly challenging, 
without a hint or path towards progress, we often feel discouraged, unmotivated, and disengaged. Here's where I think there's a deeper insight to dig into. I think the optimal balance of challenge and progress has actually become imbalanced in our culture for so many of us. Let me explain. Since around the 1980s-ish, one of the most viral pieces of advice given to parents and educators has been to respond to discomfort, to frustration, tantrums, tears, with distraction. If you've got kids or have friends with kids, just think back to the last time that a kid was feeling frustrated or upset in front of you. What did you or the parents do? It's actually rare that parents slow down, sit with the child, talk about their feelings, and give them gentle yet firm encouragement to continue. So often, parents either jump in to fix the problem for the child, or they jump in to distract them. One of the fundamental principles that I talk with parents about in my clinical work, or with clients when we talk about their childhood and how parts of their childhood affect what's going on for them in the present, is that kids really have just one job. It's to learn. Learning to walk, talk, read, write, and do math, absolutely. But more than that, learn about the world, about themselves in it, about people. Kids are constantly learning and forming the mental models and beliefs to make their way and get what they need in the world. So what happens when kids experience frustration, upset, challenge, and their caretakers and educators distract them in that very moment? They learn to distract themselves, to shift their attention away, to move on to something else, anything else, especially something easier, more pleasant, more enjoyable. When I had this realization, it was such a light bulb moment for me because it unlocked why two and a half plus hours can disappear. And it changed how I think about and work with my own attention forever. Here are three lessons I developed that really guide me powerfully. Number one, recognize it's a learned behavior, which means it can be worked on and changed. I know it's really easy to be hard on ourselves and to think that, oh, I'm just a distractible person, to kind of wrap our identity up in that, or to think that it's permanent or not changeable. But it's absolutely changeable. Number two, to start shifting that behavior, flip the script. Just like in that example of the child who felt frustrated, challenged, and the parent jumped in, treat yourself like the kid whose single job it is to learn. And the way to teach that child, the way to teach yourself is that instead of repeating the pattern of distraction, take the time to acknowledge your frustrations. Have an internal conversation that's both gentle and encouraging. Number three, take meditation seriously and develop a meditation practice. Specifically, the type of meditative practice that focuses on attending to just one thing, a sensory experience like your breathing. It's all about noticing when your mind wanders away from your breathing 
and gently bringing your attention back to your breathing. It's a practice. It's not about a goal to be focusing on your breathing for 20 minutes straight. It's about recognizing this tendency and cultivating a gentle, consistent, regular, daily practice of bringing your attention back to whatever it is that you would like to be attending to, whatever you've chosen to attend to. And I'll even throw in a bonus lesson from the flow research that I've really put into play. Paying attention to the balance of challenge and progress and find ways to generate more excitement, investment, and engagement in what you're working on. And here's how I did it. I took a pause just before I started working on this episode, slowed my breathing, noticed and gently pointed out to myself that I actually wasn't really interested in the episode topic that I'd chosen at first. So I asked myself what would be more engaging and worthwhile to do research on and talk about. That's when I got excited to dig into and talk about attention. And that's when I was off to the races which is exactly how I got my second major goal finished today, in record time, no less. And on that note, I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. If you learned something valuable today, take a moment to rate and review the podcast. It helps grow the show and gives more smart, high-performing, results-driven people like you the ability to learn and apply high-leverage psychology to your business and life. The Business Couch with Dr. Yishai podcast is produced by Dr. Yishai and PodTech. Music by www.purple-planet.com. Dr. Yishai is a psychologist, but not your psychologist. The conversations and content of this podcast do not contain or create any psychology practice, diagnosis, or therapist-patient relationship with the guest or listener. The information contained in this publication is for general informational purposes only and shall not be relied on or construed as coaching advice or therapy. So do your own research before using anything from this podcast. Thanks again for listening. I hope today's episode fulfilled my mission to help you leverage psychology better in your business and life.